Okay, we're halfway through our ODR series. ODR comes from the idea that um, we are either, either in a state of orientation where everything is good, it's calm, we're happy, and then we always have like a season of disorientation where there's chaos, our world turns upside down, and then reorientation where we're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, he got us through that time of disorientation. And we're using the um, analogy of a wave the continual disturbance of energy, which is why the ocean is never calm and there's always waves coming. And so when we get hit by a wave over and over and over again, as we have through the pandemic and all of the stuff that was going on, right? It takes its toll. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. And it could really like play with our like mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. And so what if our perspective changed, because I like to stop the waves. I wish I could control and stop the waves from coming. But what if our perspective changed from, oh, another wave and it just keeps coming, because that's the story I tell myself, to, oh, there's another wave, but God is the anchor in the waves. God is my anchor in the waves. And if I just keep saying that to myself, instead of, oh, why is another wave coming? Why? If I could just say, God is the anchor. I don't like it, but God is the anchor in the waves. And so this is what ODR can, can do for us. And this is what happened to Naomi. So we're going to study the whole story of Naomi, which is found, ironically, in the book of Ruth. So don't look for Naomi in your table of contents. <laughs> look for Ruth. Okay. So Naomi's story begins in the time of Judges, which if you like violent movies, who likes violent movies? Death, stabbing, murder. Like you all got to read the book of Judges because that is all there. It's so violent, but it's a season in Israel's history where they forgot about God and they did what was right in their own eyes. And it's horrifying. The things that are there are horrifying. And so you, you know, this is kind of like Naomi starts her life, you know, the, her story starts in scripture in disorientation. And so let's look at Ruth 1.1. It says in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, Moab, he and his wife and two sons. So Elimelech is this man that they're talking about. He's Naomi's husband, and they're living in these horrifying times. Plus, there's a famine. And so he doesn't have any work on his farm. There's no way to provide for his family. Um, and so he's like, what, what am I supposed to do? But he hears that there's food in Moab. So he's like, hmm, I don't know because Moab and the Israelites, the Moabites and the Israelites are enemies. So he's like, maybe I'm going to have to take my family to Moab because there's no way I can provide for them. It's a lot like the immigrants that come to our country today, right? They don't want to come to the United States, but they want, they have to come. They're desperate to have life. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to take my family and we're going to go to Moab and we're going to settle there. And believe it or not, when they get there, Naomi's life, it gets harder. It gets worse because Elimelech dies. So here she is, Naomi with her two sons. They get married to Moabite wives, Orpah and Ruth, and they live there for 10 years in this foreign land where different cultures, different ways of doing things, different, just everything is new and it's different and it's so hard. And then 
her two sons die. Like, she would have expected maybe her, her husband to die early or maybe one of her sons to die early, but both of her sons are gone. And so now she's in Moab, this foreign land, all by herself. Her family's gone. Like, what trauma and you know, tragedy. And, and so she has her two daughters-in-law. And so she's like, what am I supposed to do? But then she hears that the famine in Judah is over. So she decides to go back to Bethlehem, humiliated and heartbroken, because she left Bethlehem to to go to Moab for a better life. But then she was going to come back to Bethlehem even worse than she was before. And so the three of them head back to Bethlehem together. And you're leaving your family and home. She knows in your culture, it's hard to go to unfamiliar places. It's hard when you don't feel like you belong. It's hard when, you know, people eat different things. You have a different history and, and you just don't feel like you fit in. And so on their way, maybe this is what, what, why Naomi said to Orpah and Ruth. She says, go back each of you to your mother's house and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, with the dead, her sons, and with me. Sorry, I repeat myself. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Assuming that they, you know, she's hoping that they'll get married again. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. And Orpah and Ruth say, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi replies, no, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. It's hard to know how Naomi really feels, but I think that last line is kind of telling. The story that Naomi is telling herself is that God is the one who's responsible for her heartache. God is the one who's responsible for her trauma. And so Naomi tells Orpah and Ruth three times, like, no, go back to Moab, go back to your family. And so um, Orpah is like, okay, you know, she's weeping and she's like, okay, she's respecting, you know, what, what Naomi said. And so she kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and she walks back home. But Ruth, she holds on to Naomi. She embraces her and held on and she said, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Like the relationship between these three women, there's so much commitment, there's so much love, there's intimacy, it's so beautiful. And so Naomi, she gives in to Ruth. And so the two of them travel to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, the whole city is like, oh, is that Naomi? Oh my, it's been so much, is that Naomi? And, and, And Naomi says, Call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has dealt harshly with me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? You see, the word Naomi, the name Naomi, it means pleasant, but Mara means bitter. Like it's clear that the story Naomi's telling herself and everyone is that God has, she has changed from her trauma and God is the one responsible for it. But Naomi's honesty is a good thing. Like I would have tried to like put on some nice clothes and fake like, yeah, Moab was awesome. (laughs) But she's so honest, she can't hide it. She's like so disappointed in God. Like 
Job, he was angry at God and he yelled at God. But Naomi is so disappointed with God, she can't even talk to God. She talks about God, but you never hear her talking to God. She's so disappointed in, in God. And that's okay. Like, God can handle that. So as they begin life in, in Bethlehem, Ruth asks Naomi if she can go to the fields, because that was the Israelite custom. The, the rich Israelites would have their fields, and they would leave a lot of extra uh, wheat. I'm just making it up, but extra stuff. Stuff that they were growing. So that the poor people, like the orphans and the widows and the immigrants, they could come and that they would have enough food. Like that was the culture. That was God's system for providing for the poor. And Ruth um, knew this. And so she goes out and um, she, by chance, happens to go to the best field that she can possibly go to. By chance, Boaz, who's the owner of the field, happens to see her. And they asked his worker, like, who is that woman? And the worker's like, oh, that's Ruth. She's the Moabite. She came and she sacrificed and she left her family and her homeland in Moab. And she came with Naomi. You know, she came back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And Boaz is so touched by Ruth's commitment and care for Naomi that he approaches Ruth and he's like, okay, Ruth, stay here. Like, don't go to other land, you know, farms or whatever. Just stay here. You'll have plenty to gather for you and Naomi. You'll be protected. I'm going to tell the guys, like, you know, don't bother them. Stay with the rest of the girls and um, you'll be safe. And he assures her that, yeah, she'll be fine if she just stays here. And then he prays for her and he says, he prays that God will reward her for the great, for the sacrifice that she made for Naomi. And we might, as we read this, think, oh, he likes her. He wants to marry her. But it's not romantic like that at all. He's just honoring like his Naomi's, I mean Ruth's choice and Naomi Ruth's care for Naomi. He's like, he's got so much character and he has so much care for those who are in need and he has so much integrity. Like, I think that's why he's so he wants to care for Ruth. And so Ruth comes home, and Naomi asks, you know, where did you clean? And Ruth's like, oh, I went to this, I met this man named Boaz, and he had this, a lot of land, and he gave us all this stuff, and, and I talked with him, and I shared with him, and, and Ruth, you know, just talking like, you know, this is what happened, I didn't plan this, you know, Ruth and Naomi didn't plan, like, please, Lord, lead us to the, the right land, and lead us to the right people. They didn't pray any of that. She just went out. And then Naomi is like, what? Because she remembers, like, Boaz could be one of their redeemers. And so a redeemer is someone, is, is part of the Israel culture where if they would be, uh, they have a moral and social obligation to help family members who are in need. And so if Boaz or whoever was their redeemer, they would get Elimelech's they would get Elimelech's land back, they would marry Ruth, and they would have, start a family, and, and they would redeem all that has lost. They would help the family get back what was lost. And so Naomi's like, oh, maybe Boaz can be our, our redeemer. And she starts to have hope. She starts to see a glimpse of maybe God hasn't forgotten about his commitment to me. Because all those years, it seemed like he was not around, and he totally forgot, and he caused all this stuff. But she starts to have hope. 
And so Naomi and Ruth, you know, this is a patriarchal culture, but they like take matters into their own hands. They are like, they take initiative and they make a plan. And, and so she tells, um, Naomi tells Ruth, okay, take off your clothes of mourning. Like, don't wear that anymore. And if you do that, then people will know that you are ready to get married. And so, you know, she's, then she says, um, after dinner, go find Boaz and find out where he sleeps. Then lie down next to Boaz. And I couldn't find a picture for that because they were all like, X-rated. <laughs> because, you know, they make her into this big seductress, and you know, and I'm like, what she did was so noble. And even Boaz in scripture recognizes it as noble. Like she's the Proverbs 31 woman. Like what she did was right and it was good. And so, and so that's what she does. And then Boaz wakes up and he's like, what's going on? And, and he got the message because the message was, you know, they didn't have like big engagements and proposals where they posted on Instagram or whatever people do now. But this was her way to propose and, and say like, I want you to be Naomi's redeemer. I want you to be the family redeemer. And Boaz gets it and he's like, okay, I understand what you're saying. You're not wearing your morning clothes. You're ready to get married, but I want to do it legally. I want to do it right because that's the kind of character and integrity that Boaz has. And so he does his research and he finds out that there's another man who is closer to Naomi who has the right to become the redeemer. And so he lets them know, and there's like a whole chapter about it. But the guy, you got, he's a good guy. You can't blame him. But he, you know, he's like, if I take on another wife and start a family and I have to get Elimelech's land back, he's like, that's really going to put my whole family, the rest of my family and everything else in danger. So he says no. So Boaz is like, okay, I'm going to marry Ruth. I'm going to get Naomi's land back. And so that's what happens. Booth. Uh, booth. Ruth Boaz, ooh, that could be something I could say. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, they become a chosen family. Like her family was lost, but here are the, here are the three who chose to be together, and God blesses them. And so um, in uh, Ruth 4, 14 through 15, it says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. You see, they, Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed, who will be Naomi's heir. Like Naomi, right before she had this dream of having a family and living on the farm and, and, and having a son who will carry on their name. And, and it, it's restored. God had restored that. And at the end of Ruth, the, the genealogy, there's a genealogy that reveals that Obed is going to be, Obed is King David's grandfather. And in Matthew, we find that the genealogy lists Boaz, Ruth, and Obed in Jesus' genealogy. So not only did God restore and redeem Naomi's story, but he, this is all part of our story too. So God blesses them. They all are partnered together to bring about God's redemption. And it's amazing how like God intertwines like 
the pe his people's choices and their circumstances to bring about his purposes, or what we would call experiencing heaven together. It wasn't like this big fix-it thing, but it was in the everyday circumstances and choices that, that, we, that they made and that we make where he brings about his purposes. So in disorientation, the story Naomi told herself was God was responsible for the tragedies. God is the one who turned against her. God dealt bitterly with me, right? These are all the things she, she said. God brought me back empty. God brought calamity on me. But as she looked back, right, because hindsight is always 20-20, in reorientation, she could see that, no, God is her restorer. He's her protector. He's her provider. That God loves her and is for her. And that she thought he had abandoned her, but no, he is committed to her. So when the next set of waves come, Naomi can say, no, he's not abandoning me. No, he hasn't brought this on me, but he, he has restored me. I've seen it happen before. He does love me. He is committed to me. And this is the beauty of ODR. No one wants to hear when someone's going through disorientation, no one wants to hear, oh, you know what, but God is going to stretch you for this, you know, stretch you from this experience, and, and it's going to be great, and your faith is going to be bigger. Like, no one wants to hear that when you're in the middle of trauma and tragedy and pain and loss. But hindsight is 2020, and we can say that in reorientation, and we can look back and say, no, God was with us. There's a new and different way to see who God is, to see God's commitment for us, uh, his love for us, and his care for us. We can see how he was moving in the midst of our circumstances and, and in the choices that we made. We can see his sovereignty and his goodness and his faithfulness and his presence in the midst of our disorientation. And so, I'm sorry. We all, I'm gonna bring it up, the disorientation, because this week, right, the federal government said the pandemic's over. So I thought we could take a look back at the pandemic. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but you know, we all experienced the pandemic, and that was very disorienting. I laugh at you know, our board meeting, thinking, oh, let's plan how we can show our, our services online for three to four weeks. Like, that was so ridiculous when you look back, right? And I know that um, it's a lot to ask. We're just going to spend like five minutes just reflecting back on what we felt. Like, what was the story we told ourselves during the pandemic? And then we'll spend another couple minutes and go, and just, you know, because God's inviting us to go deeper. And so we can like think about how is God faithful in our circumstances? How is God faithful in our relationships and in the people that we encountered during the, um, during the pandemic? How could we see God intertwining our everyday experiences with our choices? You know, maybe it was um, running into someone at the store 
that you weren't planning, but that, that connection was meant so much. Or maybe it was a, a text that someone sent you when you were like, oh, I can't take this anymore, and I'm so, and then someone sent you something, you know, like, oh, I'm praying for you. Or maybe it was a meal, like when you had COVID, and someone thought of you and said, I'm going to bring you a meal because they wanted to show God's care and their love for you. And then third, um, what person or practice will remind you of your new story? Maybe you can ask your life group to remind you, okay, when the next time I go through disorientation, remind me, this is my new story. Or maybe you could write out your new story on a post-it and keep it like next to your bed so you remember the next time chaos happens, the next time you feel your world is turned upside down, you can remember the new story that you want to tell yourself. For me, as I was desperately seeking toilet paper at Costco and Target and Smart and Final and Ralph's and I couldn't find anything, um, when I was checking the rising numbers of COVID cases and deaths like multiple times a day, um, when Elena was like not born yet, but I was thinking, I am not gonna be able to see her or hold her for six weeks. That was heartbreaking. Or, you know, I'm, I'm at risk. I'm over 50 and overweight. Like, what if I don't make it through the pandemic? Like, it was so scary. And the story that I told myself was, where are you, God? Like, what's going on? Where are you? Like, people are dying. Where are you? And I felt alone and abandoned by him. And usually when I get in disorientation, that's my way, of, that's my pattern of thinking. I'm thinking, oh, where are you? I'm alone in this. I'm alone. I'm all by myself. But as I look back for the last three years, I can see that God, God was, I wasn't alone, that God was with me, that he cared for me, that he provided for me. And I can say that, okay, you know, it was hard. It was heartbreaking because we experienced a lot of loss, but God was the anchor in the waves. And so now as I experience new disorientation, I, I'm trying not to say, oh, where are you, and I'm alone, but my new story be, okay, this kind of sucks, but you are the anchor in my waves. I've seen it, I've experienced, you are the anchor in my waves. And so I, I kind of wanted to give you this opportunity to just sit and think about these three questions. And it, I know it's kind of ridiculous to kind of think about these three questions in like five minutes, but may this be the first step in the process of moving from orientation to disorientation to reorientation. So I'm gonna ask Daniel and the worship team to come forward. And they're gonna play an instrumental and then just, we'll just have some time where we can reflect and just ask the Spirit to help us to remember maybe our old story that we told ourselves and ask the Lord to help us create a new story that, that where we see His working in our lives in the everyday circumstances and choices that we made. Let's pray. <clears throat> 